In this episode of Film Folly, I review the film A Man Called Otto and the significance this film has in demonstrating true kindness and empathy. Also, details about Kit Harrington's new horror film, Kate Winslet's passion project, and Emily Blunt and Chris Evans' new film. Also, I get all riled up about a canceled Netflix show, so let's get into it. joining me on another episode of Film Folly, a bi-weekly podcast with a film club format, choosing one featured film each week to review and take a deeper dive with meaningful conversation. Film Folly also has lots of entertainment news about your favorite shows and films to keep you informed with what's going on in Hollywood. At the end of the show, I'll give you the upcoming featured film for the next episode so you can follow along. And in this episode, I'll be covering the film A Man Called Otto, which was originally released December 29th, 2022, out on Netflix. Fans of the early episodes of the podcast will probably recognize my little tradition when I record on Fridays. I like to uh, kind of give a little shout out to what I'm drinking this week. Uh, in this episode. So today is Friday Wine Day, as I like to coin it. Uh, It's a little treat uh, to look forward to for the end of the week, and I am enjoying a little glass of wine (laughs) this evening. And for this Friday Wine Day, I am enjoying a Mary Hill Winemakers Red 2020, which is from the Columbia Valley. And, you know, gotta represent Pacific Northwest because that's where I'm from and uh, actually I love this wine so much it's just a really easy drinking wine honestly and it goes in my opinion goes with a lot of different foods Uh, so I thought it would be a great one to have at me and my husband's wedding uh, which was back in 2022 and we really really enjoyed it so we ordered a bunch for the wedding <laughs> and I still drink it even now. So, <laughs> uh, lots of people seem to like it and I just love to represent Pacific Northwest. We have such great wines and there's also the Mary Hill Museum, which is also really beautiful. If you love old architecture and really historic items and things like that, You get a beautiful view of the Columbia River Gorge area up on that hill, and it's just absolutely amazing. But anyways, I'm not sponsored by them by any means. I just thought I'd give a little shout out. Some people uh, early on in the podcast seemed to enjoy what kind of uh, wine I was drinking on my Friday wine day. So 
I thought I'd mention it for this evening since that is, uh, since I'm actually recording on a Friday and I don't often record on a Friday. This week has been really hectic, so I apologize in advance since this episode is going to be coming out a little later than anticipated. I've got a lot of life events going on and uh, in the process of buying a house, so oh, just a lot going on. And it's kind of hard to sneak away to get some recording done and, and things like that, but... I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. And thank you for joining me. So in this episode, as I mentioned already, I'm going to be talking about the film A Man Called Otto. And I'm hoping that you watched it in preparation for this episode. But I really enjoyed it. It was a little bit different than I was expecting it to be. Um, It is classified as a kind of a feel-good film, but I there were a lot of dark elements in the film, I would say, so we'll get into it. But um, there's four actors I'd like to mention. So, of course, the main actor in this film is Tom Hanks, who plays Otto Anderson, the main character of the film. And then we have the other main character. Her character's name is Marisol. And she is played by Mariana Trevino. And Marisol's husband, Tommy, is played by uh, Manuel Garcia Rulfo. And you will recognize him. He looks definitely different in this film than he does in the show. He plays the main character in Lincoln Lawyer, which is also on Netflix. So... You may recognize him from that. And the other character I wanted to mention who in the film he plays the younger version of Otto. The actor's name is Truman Hanks and is Tom Hanks' real life son. Now Tom Hanks has several, I think he has three sons if I remember right. I I could be, you know, misremembering, but this is one of his sons who I haven't really seen very much in a lot of films, but he's also an actor and as well as another one of his uh, sons. So <laughs> uh, this is, I believe, one of his younger sons. Now for the film A Man Called Otto, Rotten Tomatoes score, uh, the critics gave it a 70% and audiences gave it a 97%. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It was a little, a little far off in my opinion. Um, you know, 70 to 97%. I personally feel like it's probably in the low 80s, um, maybe 83, 85, somewhere in that range. But audiences seem to love this and I can understand why. There are some really great moments and some really great touching moments in it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a synopsis just to kind of refresh your memory a little bit. And then we can dive into some of the the comments and themes I wanted to talk about. Otto Anderson is a 63-year-old widower living in a row house in suburban Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Six months after losing his wife, Sonia, a schoolteacher, Otto has become a cynical, fastidious curmudgeon. Pushed into his retirement from his job at a steel plant, He cancels his utilities and plans to kill himself to join his late wife. 
Preparing to hang himself, Otto is interrupted by the arrival of new neighbors, pregnant Marisol, her husband Tommy, and their daughters Abby and Luna, who try to befriend him. In the quiet, exacting life Otto has made for himself, the family enters into his world in a loud, busy, and loving way. Otto is, of course, annoyed, but begrudgingly helps them with their move to the neighborhood. Otto continues several times throughout the film to devise methods of suicide so he may join his wife and leave the life that seems so insufferable to him. With each suicide attempt, Otto has flashbacks of moments throughout his life with Sonia, and we learn about their history and life together. But he always seems to be interrupted. Whether it's by the new family across the street or a previous student of his wife's who asks him for help, you can't help but wonder if his wife's spirit has a divine hand in these interruptions, trying to guide him away from his suicidal mission. As interactions between Otto and the new neighbors become more frequent, he begins to warm up to them and also begins to slowly open up to Marisol. His softening from Marisol leads him to reconnect with his other former friends of the neighborhood. Otto learns that the real estate company, Diane Merica, are conspiring with neighbors Reuben and Anita's estranged son, leveraging Anita's secret Parkinson's diagnosis to buy their house and put Reuben in a nursing home. He resolves to fight them and asks for Marisol's help finally explaining the past he has had with Sonia and the stillbirth and disability that she suffered many years prior. He goes on to explain his frustration at the inaccessibility of the Diane Merica housing development and how he was voted out as association chair after a heated confrontation with the company. When Diane Merica staff arrived to take Reuben, the neighborhood bands together to stop them by exposing their illegal access to Anita and Otto's medical records. So that is primarily the premise of the film. There is many more elements and scenes that I'm not mentioning here in this short little synopsis. They all definitely support the primary premise to get to know Otto and the characters within the film. There is also more to the very end of the story that I didn't want to give away, but if you watch the film in preparation for this week, you know what happens at the very end, but I won't give it away to those who haven't seen it yet. Now, like I said at the top of this episode, I was a little caught off guard that there was going to be as dark elements such as suicide um, perpetually throughout the entire film. Now, there are heartwarming elements to this film um, and, and definitely some feel-good moments, but there is a lot of dark moments that are kind of met with humor. So usually if there's something dark that's kind of going on where he's devising a plan to commit suicide, it's usually met with some kind of funny quirk that he has as well and some kind of funny interruption that comes into play. So they do, the film does balance that out pretty well. And I also really love that it was a humanizing and thought-provoking experience overall with the film. And all the actors, in my opinion, gave a fantastic performance. 
again, the comedic timing is really good and feels genuine. I definitely laughed in a lot of parts in this film. Just that Otto and some of the, the quirks he has uh, are actually pretty funny. And the complete disregard that Marisol has for some of his grumpy quirks. It doesn't seem to faze her. She's a very strong woman, you can tell, and it's really great to see. And she doesn't let his grumpy, off-putting demeanor really faze her, which I thought was really, really sweet and very heartwarming at the same time. But as I mentioned, just before Warned, especially... If you haven't seen this film before, this film is commonly described as a feel-good film, but those darker elements and the suicide ideation throughout the film, some may find more in the drama slash dark comedy realm as opposed to the quote-unquote feel-good genre that I originally thought it was going to be. So um, now, even though I thought it was going to be something different, I actually really enjoyed this and it was definitely well worth my time. Uh, again, the humanizing and thought-provoking experiences touched on throughout the film is really great. So it, it also touches on chosen family. You see that from just the community that has uh, happened in this neighborhood, even with Otto being as grumpy and off-putting as he is, the neighbors still go out of their way to say hi and to talk to him and maybe not as much as they used to. You get to learn some of the previous history he had with the neighbors, um, several different neighbors. So yeah, it they really come together as a community to really battle off this development company or real estate company that's trying to do some unethical methods in order to get their hands on uh, some of the properties. So it's really sweet to see. And there's even a moment where you really see the softer side of Otto that I really thought was very heartwarming and touching when he learns of a former student of his wife's who you can tell is going through a really hard time in his life, um, he tells Otto that he is a trans man and that he's been really suffering and struggling through some things, especially with his home life and things of that nature. So uh, Otto, you know, is kind of moved by that and he starts developing a little bit of a friendship and the former student uh, ends up interrupting one of uh Otto's suicide attempts and uh, knocks on his door and Otto goes to answer it and the former student of his wife asks if he could stay with Otto for a short period of time because I think uh, if memory serves he was kicked out of his house with his parents and things of that nature. Otto you know takes him in for a short period of time and even ends up, you know, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but ends up giving him his prized vehicle <laughs> uh, to him because um, the the former student, and I forget his name in the show, but he is delivering papers and that's how Otto got to know him because he was coming by the 
neighborhood delivering papers and he told Otto that he was saving up for a car so he can be more independent overall. So it was really sweet to see Otto, you know, find a place in his heart for a former student who is in need of help. As the film goes on and you learn more about Otto, the death of his wife and their life prior to her death, you kind of begin to understand why he is the way he is now. His bad temperament and grumpy attitude and negative outlook on others is the outlet he uses for his sadness and grief. And that's what I'm kind of talking about when I'm saying it's kind of a humanizing and thought-provoking experience. It's really a deep dive on how experiencing certain things in your life can really change you, sometimes for the better and sometimes not. And we all have to sometimes work through trauma or things of that nature or just really tough events in, in life to be able to push through and um, try and deal with it in healthy ways. And there's also obviously unhealthy ways that people deal with pain and grief. So that's what we're really seeing with Otto. His temperament and attitude is really just an outlet he uses for his sadness and grief. Uh, in my opinion, there's probably, you know, many other elements that other people could mention here, but that was just one thing that I took away from it. And I'd love to hear your, your guys' thoughts as well. Overall, in my opinion, the film is touching and makes you think about people in a different way. The mean or rude person you may have come in contact with in your own life makes you wonder what's happened in that person's life to make them be the way they are. The film demonstrates what true empathy should be about and the power in it and how that can change someone's life like it ends up doing for Otto in this film. It's a demonstration of looking past someone's flaws and trying to understand it in order to see their humanity. And we see this time and time again with Marisol and her relationship with Otto. And she sees past his flaws. And then as time goes on, she starts to understand them even more. And that doesn't mean she doesn't call him out on his behavior. She does. And she's probably the most blunt with him than anyone else uh, in the neighborhood or his friends, uh, former friends have been with him um, because they understand why, you know, he has such sadness and why he's lashing out. But no one wants to kind of call him out on that. And they just kind of, you know, you can tell that they're there to support him and, you know, be there for him, but he has just pushed everyone away. And so they, they keep their distance. You can tell until later on in the film when, you know, he starts being a little bit more social and the relationship with Marisol and her husband and, and their two daughters uh, really kind of makes him open up a little bit more, just, even if it's just a little bit at first. And that kind of, you know, you see the, the progression over time and her kindness and willingness to see past his poor behavior and really try to understand it is really 
a great example of having empathy. And in essence, it, it does really change his life. You can tell these missed attempts at suicide really kind of in a way is his wife telling him it's not your time. You have a lesson to learn here from these people, from these kind and loving people who just want to be there for you and want to be your friend and want to share your life experiences with you. Yeah, so he, Otto has a heart condition that can be, you know, we learn later on can be pretty life-threatening. You can tell the spirit of his wife in a certain way is really pushing him to stay, to experience life and learn some lessons and to learn to live through his grief and open up his heart in many ways. This film is quiet and subtle in its messages. So I wouldn't necessarily say it has big, profound or remarkable moments that kind of hit you over the head. But to me, that's not the vibe of the film anyway. In my opinion, maybe we don't always need something that's going to be so intensely profound with the messaging. Maybe we need something that's quietly impactful. And I feel like this film definitely demonstrates that. I love the message and I enjoyed the film a lot. But I do wonder if it'll stand out as time goes on as something people will revisit or seek to find. Is the film impactful enough so that it doesn't get lost? I don't know, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So what do you guys think? That was really my only constructive criticism, quite honestly. I... I really can't pick out too many things that I thought could have been any better. I I thought it was a great, well-thought-out story of self-discovery and learning the power of friendship and chosen family and community and, and working through grief and realizing that life is kind of about a lot of small moments. Those are the the moments that are the most impactful in life. And meaning, you know, family, friends, just spending time with one another. Having wonderful grand adventures is also a really great way to learn about life and things like that. But there's a lot to be said about having really impactful, meaningful small moments because those add up to a lot. And those small moments, just, you know, with friends and family, it's what really warms the heart. So that's why I I really enjoyed this film, even though it did have darker elements that maybe not everyone is ready to grapple with. Um, There's nothing gory or anything about it. Again, like I mentioned, there is some comedy uh, elements to him, you know, preparing himself for um, the action he wants to take, you know, in order to commit suicide and thoroughly prepares for them in certain ways that makes it kind of funny. I don't, I I have a hard time describing it. You kind of just have to see, you know, his quirkiness even comes out 
in his preparation. So, um, again, it's met with some humor there. So I think that they balanced it out really well. Um, but when I was watching the trailer, I didn't really understand that that was, I knew that there was going to be some sad elements as, as many feel good movies have sometimes there, they are met with, um, some struggle and then there are some kind of element to overcome, which gives you all the warm and feeling, <laughs> the warm and good feeling vibes. But, um, yeah, so judging from the trailer and I, I don't know, maybe, I, <laughs> maybe I just missed it. I, I didn't get the fact that, um, we were going to be addressing suicide a lot in this film. So, um, that's something to watch out for. Um, but overall, I really did love it. And again, I would love to hear your thoughts and, uh, leave a comment on the social media episode posts that I do for episode 15. And I'd love to hear your comments. You can also email me filmfollypodcast at gmail.com. And I can also feature your comments on the next episode. So go ahead and do that. I'm eager to hear. So moving on to my next segment, TV I'm watching now. And the show I'm watching right now is called Half Bad, The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself. This is also on Netflix. It was a Netflix week. (laughs) Uh, I did find a lot of things on Netflix recently. So this is on Netflix. It originally came out October 28th of 2022. So last year during spooky season and uh, the Rotten Tomatoes scores, critics gave it a 93% and audiences gave it a 91%. And I honestly, I'm halfway through the show right now. So I haven't seen it all the way through the ending, but this is what I'm watching now. So I wanted to report to you guys. I really love it so far. I completely agree with these 93 and 91% scores, which are really excellent scores. The writing and acting of the series from what I've seen so far is really, really very good. The way the show is done is really based in reality and feels like they are operating in our world, which I think was a great choice for this series. There have been other young adult fantasy series by Netflix where the writing isn't very good, quite honestly. So the acting seems a little forced or sometimes the actors have had to overcompensate, you know, in their acting when the writing's bad and in order to deliver the lines. But this is, this show is not like that whatsoever. It's really great. I'm really enjoying it so far. And you, and you become invested in the story and the characters right away. I didn't really have much of a warm up period with the show. Sometimes it takes, you know, two, three, four episodes to really get hooked into a show. This one, I was hooked episode one, honestly. And if you like fantasy, young adult, um, you know, these are teenagers in high school too. So they are going through all the teenager high school thing. Some hormones are, (laughs) are, um, and there is a love interest and things like that. And it has also been said 
that this show is one of Netflix's best young adult fantasy series they've ever done. And I have to agree with that. But sadly, yet again, Netflix has canceled one of their highest rated shows. And this is one of their highest rated shows and they have canceled it. Apparently, I did some research so you guys don't have to. Apparently, it didn't get high enough of an audience as they were hoping. I don't know what their idea of quote-unquote not enough of an audience is, but since this has happened time and time again with Netflix, it seems to be a them problem and not an audience problem, quite honestly. That's my thoughts, my personal opinion. I think this is a Netflix problem and not an audience problem. If they aren't getting a big enough audience with a show that is so highly rated, then they aren't marketing the show or advertising it in their app to the right people properly. If it's so well rated, like I just mentioned, if it's so well rated from both critics and audiences and yet they are canceling it, that's not the audience. That's on Netflix here, in my opinion. I'm a little perturbed. (laughs) I'm really upset because I got so into the show and I'm loving it so much. And then when I was doing the research for this episode, I was really heartbroken that (laughs) they canceled it. As someone who watches a lot of fantasy and witchy shows, I never heard of this show until recently when a co-worker recommended it to me. Again, this is a you problem, Netflix. You're not getting the show to the right eyes. I watch a lot of fantasy, so I'm surprised this wasn't marketed to me more and I had to find out through word of mouth. Not only that, I just mentioned word of mouth, so I didn't hear about this show until, oh, a year later about. Well, I kind of feel like Netflix isn't even allowing word of mouth to take effect and at least try for another season to see if it picks up more of an audience. And the reason why I say that is the show debuted in October of last year, 2022, and there was an article in early December announcing that they had already canceled it. So as you can tell, I'm a little annoyed by this. They only allowed, you know, the entirety, pretty much one month because it came out right before Halloween. So I'm not even counting all of October. There was only a few days in October, really. So they allowed all of November to, you know, have the show find an audience. And then they canceled it early December. How is that giving enough time for word of mouth to even take effect? I mean, come on. The show has really great reviews. The highest they've ever gotten for any of their young adult fantasy shows. Now, I think maybe another reason that not as many people came on board for this show, they may not have recognized all, you know, any of the actors. I think this is a British produced film. So I didn't recognize a lot of the actors. So maybe there's not like one actor to really market, you know, the show to. But if it's that great, which it is, they should have allowed time for word of mouth 
and people to pick up the fact that this is a great show. And I'm a little upset that they didn't allow more time for that to happen. (laughs) They just pretty much allowed one month before they canceled it. So like I said before, I'm about halfway through the show right now. And I'm pretty invested in it. So I hope there is some kind of resolution at the end of the season and not like a giant hole of a cliffhanger just because I know there's not going to be a second season. So I would love it to be at least a little bit wrapped up and I'm okay with there being like some loose ends, you know, to where the the viewer ends up kind of finishing the story in their mind a bit because there's enough of a direction to kind of insinuate possibilities of what the ending is or what the resolutions may be. But yeah, I hope it's not a giant hole of a cliffhanger. So I'm going to be pretty upset if that's the case. And they canceled it. It almost makes me not want to finish the remainder of the show. But I will definitely finish it because I want to support the people who made the show. I can't pretend I'm not mad at Netflix right now. So definitely check out that show. Maybe if they get more viewership a little bit later, they will bring it back. Kind of like The Warrior Nun. So they canceled that show. And I think I may have mentioned this in my previous episode of Film Folly. Warrior Nun was canceled after season two. Netflix is now bringing it back as a movie. So I think that was because there were so many upset fans and there was a lot of outcry uh, with that. So (laughs) um, if we all rally together and watch this show, especially it's a perfect show to watch during spooky season. You know, we're getting closer to October and as you may or may not have guessed, I am a fan of fall, (laughs) especially being from the Pacific Northwest. We have seasons here. October is a very special month for me, not only because my husband was born in October, but our wedding day was October 1st and I just love it. So... (laughs) I love fall. So check out the show and let me know what you guys think. Are you also upset that the show was canceled? Have you seen the show before? Do you have the same thoughts as me as far as, you know, really enjoying it, really liking it? Did you not like it? Why didn't you not like it? Go feel free to let me know. I'm curious because I'm I'm always interested to hear other people's opinions. So that's really... What Film Folly is about is to get a conversation behind our likes and dislikes and just really talk about film in a more in-depth way, what we learn from it, what themes really had an impact in our lives or was really thought-provoking, or sometimes it's just funny, or sometimes, you know, we, we all watch films and television for all different reasons. We want to be comforted. We want excitement. We want adventure. We want action. We want romance, you know? Um, but sometimes there's like really great lessons to be learned along the way. Sometimes we can live vicariously through film and really see different perspectives in life and what we can really learn from each other who have had different experiences in life and things like that. So yeah, anyways, leave me a comment and 
email me, comment on the social media, and let me know your thoughts. And now it's time for Hollywood News. For this episode's Hollywood News, I wanted to talk about a few articles I came across and did a little bit of research on. I think you guys will be interested in it. My first one this week comes from Collider, and it's entitled, Kit Harrington Takes a Swing at Horror in First What Remains of Us Image. The horror thriller reunites Game of Thrones star Harrington and James Cosmo. In a new first-look image from What Remains of Us, fans get to see Kit Harrington once again mixing it up in a role that shows a completely different side from what audiences know him for, making it an exciting time to be a Harrington fan. The horror thriller movie is the directorial debut of photographer and documentary filmmaker Alexander J. Farrell, and is written by Greer Ellison, as well as Farrell. The first look image includes Harrington standing with an axe outside of a trailer, wearing some suspenders, and looking every bit the opposite of his Jon Snow persona, which made him famous in the world of Game of Thrones. What Remains of Us also stars Ashley Cummings and Coylin Springle and reunites Harrington with fellow Game of Thrones alum James Cosmo. This marks another project for Harrington post-Game of Thrones where he's working with his fellow co-stars following Marvel's Eternals where he starred with his Thrones brother Richard Madden. Fans of Game of Thrones always love to see Harrington shine outside of playing Jon Snow. We're going to see Harrington back in the Jon Snow sequel series eventually, but for now, it's exciting to see the powerhouse of an actor flexing his range beyond the world of Westeros, especially within the horror genre. Harrington's energy is something that is fascinating when he's on screen and getting to see him dive into a new character in a genre we haven't seen from him sounds like a perfect match. There is no release date yet for What Remains of Us, but filming on the project is complete, so we should get Harrington back on the big screen here soon. And a little synopsis of What Remains of Us, if you're curious about what the storyline is. It is set deep in rural England. The film is framed from the point of view of Harrington's character's 10-year-old daughter. Behind the walls of her family's isolated, fortified compound, she begins to question her unusual life. She discovers that once a month, her father turns into a monster. Her parents say the monster is nothing to be afraid of, but when the monster escapes, the girl has to confront the harsh reality of her father's identity and make a life-altering decision. So that'll be really interesting to get to learn more as time gets closer to its release and they start doing promotions for the film. And like I already said, there is no release date yet, but I'm sure we'll, we'll begin to hear about it here soon. Now, this next article comes from Variety, and it's entitled Pain Hustlers Trailer. Emily Blunt gets caught in a criminal pharmaceutical scheme alongside Chris Evans. 
Emily Blunt is at the center of a criminal conspiracy in the first official trailer for Netflix's Pain Hustlers, which is set to debut on the streaming service October 27th after premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. As a mother struggling to support her daughter, Liza Drake, portrayed by Emily Blunt, seeks out a new stream of income in hopes of turning her life around. All seems to be working out well for Liza when she lands a job at a pharmaceutical startup. However, she has no idea the company is a fully-fledged illegal business and she swiftly finds herself struck in the middle of a racketeering scheme. The first trailer gives audiences a glimpse at the drama, which has been speculated to be in the vein of critically acclaimed movies like American Hustle and The Big Short. Having been introduced to Blunt's Liza, viewers get a sneak peek at the seemingly lucrative life she's able to live for a short period of time before the reality and legalities of her situation truly set in. Blunt stars in Pain Hustlers alongside Chris Evans, Andy Garcia, Catherine O'Hara, Jay Duplass, Brian Darcy James, and Chloe Coleman. The film takes inspiration from Evan Hughes' New York Times article of the same name, with a script written by Wells Tower. Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts director David Yates helms the film. Yates also produces via his company Whitewood Media alongside Lawrence Gray of Gray Matter Productions. And you can see the trailer now on YouTube or on Netflix. And yeah, give that a watch and see if it's something you're interested in. I think it's going to be a really great pairing with Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. I'm really excited to see them acting together. So it's something that I am definitely going to watch. And the next article I have here for you is also from Variety, and that is entitled Kate Winslet Bears It All for Another Trip to the Oscars with her passion project Lee following its TIFF premiere. A hot acquisition title about the famed photographer could be a smart purchase for a studio looking for a best actress contender. Quote, I've been the model, I've been the muse, but I was done with all of that. I was good at drinking, having sex, and taking pictures, and I did all three as much as I could. A quote by Lee Miller. When an elderly Miller, played by Kate Winslet, sits down with a young journalist to tell the story about her role during World War II in the war drama Lee, the memorable line sets up the filmmaker's ultimate goal, tell the world about one of its most unsung heroes. Along with a Saving Private Ryan-esque opening battle scene, Lee presents itself as a glossy character study, looking for a home out of the acquisition market after premiering at the Roy Thompson Hall Theater at the Toronto International Film Festival. An affecting drama that puts the viewer right into the war zone, it's led by another committed turn by Academy Award winner Winslet. In the glitz world of Hollywood, where talents often rise and fall like shooting stars, Winslet has transcended beyond her fame, showing range and depth. 
The film is the latest of the multiple one-name biopics this year that hopes to drum up awards attention and its star power has made it one of the buzziest titles on the market. As Lee seeks distribution to make a possible play this award season or next, adult programming finding a home at studios is not the easy sell it once used to be. When you add the ongoing Hollywood strikes that have crippled the industry since May, a film's financial prospects must be clearer than they once were. It already has Sky Cinema distribution in the UK, though. With powerful action sequences and memorable recreations such as the filming of Hitler's apartment, where Miller took the iconic image of herself in his bathtub, the movie has potential for varying prospects. Winslet, who is not in attendance for the premiere, is another example of a talented actress seeking stories and passionately bringing them to audiences and playing multiple roles in bringing them to life. Serving as a producer along with Kate Solomon, she joins Margot Robbie, Emma Stone, and Natalie Portman, who also served as actors and producers on their films, Barbie, Poor Things, and May, December. Kate Winslet's versatility as an actress has been one of her strongest traits as she goes from Rose DeWitt Bucarter in Titanic to the multi-hair-colored Clementine Krasinski in Eternal Sunshine. Based on the autobiography by Anthony Penrose and written by Liz Hanna, Marion Hume, and John Collie, the film tells the story of photographer Elizabeth Lee Miller, a fashion model who became an acclaimed war correspondent for Vogue magazine during World War II. Also among the cast are Andy Samberg, in a surprisingly effective, serious turn, Josh O'Connor, Andrea Riseborough, and Nomi Merlant. Winslet continues to get better and better, confident in her acting abilities. At 47, she's unafraid to show her naked body or de-glam her stunning appearance in order for the audience and herself to connect with the character she's portraying. A passion project for Winslet for several years, she had a guiding hand in bringing the cast, director, and artisans onto the project. Shot in three countries over nine weeks in late 2022, the film shows the horror of the time with dignity and doesn't use the disturbing and the recreation of heartbreaking pictures for shock value. If anything, the film makes you even more curious to learn about Lee's life and contributions Something I'm sure was on the list of Winslet and the team's ultimate goals. And many feel this is mission accomplished. So this is a really fascinating film that's going to be coming out. I love Kate Winslet. She is a powerhouse actress. She is good at anything and everything she does, in my opinion. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I'm looking forward to learning about the main character that Kate Winslet is playing based on a real person. And I had no idea that uh, Lee was so influential in uh, documenting with her photography during World War II. So this will be really interesting. And I'm definitely going to check this one out. Okay, that's going to do it for now, friends. Thank you all so very much for joining me this week. And thank you for being patient. I know this episode has 
been much later than it should have been, but I've been having a lot of life events go on and we're in the process of buying a new house. So uh, it's our first house. So it's been a whirlwind experience and I've just been having so much going on. I'm a one woman show over here. So <laughs> I do everything for the podcast, including editing and all the design work and the writing and the research involved. So, um, yes, I just wanted to give you a special thank you for, uh, being patient for this episode. It is late and I apologize for that. But if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That would really help me reach more people. I'm an independent podcaster, as I've just described, and your support really means a lot to me. If you leave a five-star written review, I'll even give you a shout out on the show. You can also follow and comment about the podcast and anything that's covered in the show on Instagram and Facebook at Film Folly Podcast or on Twitter X at Film Folly Pod. Also, the email for the show is filmfollypodcast at gmail.com. For the featured film in the next upcoming episode, we will get some justice served up with Denzel Washington in The Equalizer 3. If you enjoy the first two films, you'll love the third installment. I did. It was very exciting. I went out to the theater and uh, we brought my sister who was in town visiting. So we really had a great time uh, seeing this film. So enjoy that for the next episode of Film Folly. And I'll leave you for now, friends. Take care. Bye.